Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. On this episode, you will hear the conversation that I had with Jim Love. He is the CIO and Chief Content Officer at IT World Canada. It was a pleasure sitting down with Jim and hearing the stories of him leading global organizations, starting his own consulting business, and now building IT World Canada. It was refreshing for me to hear that he is also an artist. He's an accomplished musician with a gold album and a Juno nomination. I bet you will be captivated by the wealth of knowledge, experience, and insight from Jim. But before we get started, a quick thank you to my media sponsors, IT World Canada, for the support of the podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, really, no, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I'm, I'm so eager to hear your stories and experience leading technology, technology companies. But before we jump in, perhaps, can you share with, with our listeners a little bit about yourself, Jim? Tell us who you are and what you like to do. Well, I'm a, uh, I guess I, I describe myself as, a, as an accidental technologist, if that's, if that's really true. I, I, I actually started out as a musician. A fact I didn't disclose for years. I didn't, because I, I didn't want to divert from, I wanted to be taken seriously as a technology guy. And, and that came about because uh, when I started out, there were two types of people in, in technology. There were musicians and there were mathematicians. And everybody knows I'm not a mathematician. So we ended up well, for whatever reason, I stumbled into this whole thing, this magic of technology. And it was magic. I, the, the coolest thing about it was we were kings. We, we ran a little system on less power than my, my phone, probably a tenth of the power of my phone, maybe even less than that. And we ran a national system. We did it at night with bailing wire. We, we had programming. Our programming language was called Dennis's programming language. Who the heck knew what this stuff was? So, you know, we, we were, we were cowboys and we put this stuff together, but we ran the place and it was the coolest feeling in the world. Um, like I just loved it. And I still get that sense of magic from the first time I saw a computer and I typed something in and, and it came back up. And I, I always say that, you know, a programmer like a, or a person who loves technology from my generation, at least is a guy who'd stay up all night. So you could hear, see hello world or pop up on your screen. Uh, it never lost the magic. So that, that was, that's where my career started. I was, I got into the magic of it. I soon learned that the magic of it was cool, but it had to be melded with a business purpose. And I spent a lot of time learning business. And even today, you know, I'm going to tell you about coming back from a conversation with my staff. I, I still go back to what business problem are you trying to solve? And then it became even cooler. Because there are two things that I could do that were great. We could talk about the magic of technology and we talk about these problems we had to solve. And that was neat. So, uh, you know, I mean, as I described to some of you, for the next 30 years flew by. I, 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 I advanced in business. I advanced in technology. I ran a consulting practice for a large multinational firm. And then about 2003, I'd done it. I wanted to do something else. And so I started my own consulting company and learned the whole 
entrepreneurial steps at a later age. Um, and then recently, I, I've I've started to run companies, and and we have a couple of companies that we run. It World being one, uh, which is a, a publisher and an electronic publisher. But again, the same things are true. A challenge. How does a publisher survive and thrive in a digital age? How do you change that company? How do you use technology to do that? So I'm still within, I'm still doing the same thing, uh, but it's never the same thing twice. You know, that's, 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 that's who I am and what I'm doing. And I have a new album out this year. So I'm still a music man. That's I, I, how do people keep up with you, Jim? And, and I'm really interested to, to hear your music. And I, I know. I'm going to get into it a bit later in the interview and find out a little bit more of that side of it because it's, it's super interesting how you are able to put both of your worlds together or all three of your worlds together when it comes to business, technology, and music. But why don't we start off and just tell us, you mentioned it already, but why don't you share with us your current role there? And I know that's amongst other companies as well but start with that and their mission yeah, there start with it world because it's the center of my universe at this at this particular point and that is i, I i'm the cio i'm i'm the, the chief technology officer of that company and and you know in the modern parlance maybe chief digital officers better i'm i'm responsible for how we do this leveraging technology which is a great challenge because i have every other uh, all of the best technology journalists in Canada work at our place. So I'm, I'm the chief technology guy in a group of people who think they all think they know more than I do. And maybe they're right sometimes. But the, the, the other cool thing is being an artist. I mean, my degree is in literature. I was a musician. I've written all my life. And as I've always said, I've always kept my, 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 my creative life and my business life separate. That's a crime, by the way. And, 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 but we'll talk about that later. But the, uh, but I thought it was the right thing to do. Uh, but my creative life and my business life meld now because I've written and I've written forever, always being one of those guys who did like we, we, we talked about before the interview when we were talking about this. I did that because that was how I established my name. But I love to write. I just love to write. And so I would write in business, whether I was writing business, whether I was writing fiction, whether I was writing songs, it didn't matter. It was, it was the act of creation. So now I have the, in a digital age, um, I, I have that, that wonderful meld of I'm responsible for content. I'm the chief content officer and the chief digital officer. So, uh, so it's, it's a, it's a big world for me. And it, and it goes back to that whole idea that technology doesn't exist without a purpose. We solve a problem. We create an opportunity. We, we help people do things they can't do before. You know, we, that's what technology is. The, the, the greatest thing about it is. And so being able to meld that and say, okay, digital content, technology, how do we do this? Um, and as I've, you know, said to everybody, that answers the question the way I want it answered. First, tell me what and why. And most f- focus most on why. Mm-hmm. And once we've done that, I'll talk about how. Because the how is easy, which, by the way, most CIOs will tell you. And the the interesting thing is, you get to know people, you get to move on, and you you you, you get more relaxed about who you are and what you are, and, and there, and you find out that all the other CIOs, you know, also have a personality, and they have other things that they're interested in too. So we start to talk about where we are, and we're we're all get to the same level. Tell me what you're trying to do. Tell me why you need to do it. Don't tell me how to do it. Tell me the what and the why. Share that with me and let me do what I do, which is great, which is finding out how. And that's, that's, I mean, that's the magic of, of business. That's the magic of technology. Your career spans over 30 years, 35 years. Were you held 
senior level positions in financial services, consulting and publishing, and you worked in software development, operations, sales and marketing. I mean, it sounds like you've done the whole gamut, but I guess for the purpose of our listeners, can you share with us some of the challenges that came from your different roles and responsibilities? Well, I think that the challenges came from the whole idea is of being a generalist. I mean, I'm interested in a lot of things. I mean, now we class that as ADD, but now it becomes a, a feature because the span of things that I can think about, you know, as I remember some one time when I was a teenager, I was always involved. I always liked the new. I like to explore things. I like to find things out. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized, stop fighting that. That's what you do. You know, I remember having a conversation with somebody and I was interested in art and I'm not, I'm not an artist, but I was interested in art. So I dove into it. I learned to silkscreen. I learned to draw. I won art contests. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about music. And I said, you know, the coolest thing is I can talk to you about music. I can talk to you about art. And so he says, you know, you're in everywhere. And I said, yeah, that's, that's because why wouldn't you? But that was a drawback in my career. And, and we've talked, we, you know, we talked about entrepreneurship and stuff like that later in my life. Staying focused in businesses is, is absolutely critical. So you have to, you have to master your own ADD, um, in, in there. But the, um, and I don't say ADD to, to make fun of anybody with, with the real, the real problem. I'm just saying that this is, this is something that's a good image to describe it with. But so, so as a generalist, I'd come in and, and I'd find myself ramping up quickly into places and trying to build credibility. So I was an overachiever. So when I got into technology, everybody said, well, you haven't programmed. So you don't know how to program. So you've never done this sort of stuff. And you get this technology snobbishness. So I, uh, can I say screw you on a broadcast? I, I, you know, I got a book. I started to pick the stuff. I sat up at night and I learned it. And I realized technology, it's, it, programming is syntax. The real programmers solve great problems. So I've always looked at it and said, I can do the entry level, man. That's not a problem. I'll, I'll get there. Where I got real respect was when you when you learn the basic skills, then you realize what the magic of it is. And I realize the the people, mostly guys, but some of the women that I've worked with who are great programmers were not just great programmers. They were great problem solvers, which took me being the non-mathematician. I went back and studied logic and problem solving and all of those sorts of things. And, and that eventually leveraged me into a consulting career because I became idea of, there has to be a way to learn this. So I took the magic part of problem solving and said, there's got to be a way. So I went back to Aristotle. I went back to arguments. I went back to logic. And I, I discovered Sherlock Holmes. And, I, and, and I, you know, I, I can't count in, in my early career how many times I actually used that line, you know, when you remove the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. That got me through a lot of late nights of solving system problems, believe it or not. And, and I became, I started, I mastered, mastered, that sounds egotistical, but I, I started to understand that problem solving was what made great programmers. And, 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 and so I, I, I started to master that part of it. That, that leveraged me into a consulting career. Um, and that consulting career was, was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it, it fit every day. There was a new challenge. I never stayed at a job for more than three months. You know, I still remember when I started out. And this is I, I. I started out in the nineteen seventies in business, and I, I was hellishly ambitious. So I changed jobs three times in ten years. Three times in ten years, and I remember this HR person looking at me saying, "You've moved around a lot, haven't you?" And I went, "No, I don't think so," because it didn't seem unnatural to me. 
I thought that was, and I know you actually now you study it. The three to five year band is probably where most people are naturally. Uh, so I either advanced or I moved, moved on or moved up and there was just no two ways around it. But now, I mean, we get people spend 18 months to two years and they think they've done that the whole time. So, so that, that that's transitioned that that's changed a lot. But for me, for the guy who wanted the new challenges, who always wanted to conquer something new, I had this wonderful thing of learning the, the discipline of consulting and learning from some of the best people around anywhere out there. People you wouldn't know, but Andrew Lamb, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Ken John Grant, who's we're sitting here on Young Street taping this right across at, at Ryerson. Some great consultants, at, and, and I, I learned from them the discipline of how to do consulting. But it gave me a gift, and the gift was, and that lasted for quite a few years, was I could do different things all the time. You know, nine months. I, the longest job I ever had, I think, was maybe 13 months running a big project. And I, it needed me from at least the first stages. And, you know, so I, I just loved it. I was proud of it. I, I, I'm, I'm a certified management consultant. I'm a CMC. I'm actually an FCMC. I'm a fellow because I devoted my, a lot of my life to that profession and, and trying to, to really enjoy that. And I did. And it was a great avenue. I worked at Ernst and Young. I, I, I managed to, you know, I got, managed to work my way up on, on consulting, uh, and I did uh, a stint with DMR, and I ran the the management consulting practice worldwide for a while in there, and, and their and their methodology development. So it was just it was perfect life. And then when DMR sort of imploded, uh, the, when the mid level consulting companies disappeared, um, I was I thought I got to do something new. And it wasn't I mean I had opportunities, but they wanted me to be an executive, and like I'm sorry, but that. I'm, I always tell people when I'm training them in consulting, don't take my business stories as how, as how to go forward. I'm interested in doing things. I'm interested in real things. I'm interested in real life. That's, that's why I am. I sat around in a, at a board meeting in New Jersey with, with, and they get the CEO and the of marketing and I'm supposedly somebody. I've always, I've never felt really at home in, in that, that world, but, but I'm supposedly at this table as one of the executives and we did the usual just total BS nonsense discussions that were not at all and, and I just I, I don't say that as somebody who's a junior person who's looking up and saying those people in the ivory tower no we really were in an ivory tower we really were stupid and I discovered that many companies are run by people who for whatever reason have learned to be stupid people are not stupid normally people are there's a lot of smart people but why smart people do stupid things when they get into executive roles another point of discussion, but we're sitting at this table and I, I stood up at the end of it. I said, you know, and I thought it was funny. I said, you know, if we really tried hard, we could actually convince ourselves we did something valuable for the business today. Nobody else thought it was as funny as I did. The CEO was livid um, at this thing. And I, I was fortunately, it was valuable enough that they couldn't just bump me. Um, but the and and I know because I they tried to move me aside one time and my whole the, like the international practice revolted and said not on your life you're not moving that guy and that was a humbling thing that was when I learned about I learned about leadership in that moment when because I I didn't care I mean if they if I was if I wasn't going to fit into this I didn't want to come in and do that every day I don't want to sit in a in a room and and you know say things that my wife laughs at because she my wife listens to these conference calls and she'd go what the heck are you guys talking about yeah. you know we got to get to twenty thousand we got to get to, we got to, we have to do the, we have to think outside the box. We got to, we got to really get in there. We got to burn and earn. We got to be lean and mean and all this crap that has nothing to do with the original magic 
that brought me into business, which was, you got a problem? This is cool. We could solve this problem. We could help this opportunity. We could help this customer. We could do something that meant something. And we could use technology to do that. And so I, I, in 2003, I was teaching at the University of Waterloo. Uh, uh, a, week, a, friend, a couple of friends and I, I got in late in the game. I, I wouldn't take credit for starting it, but there was a thing called Innovate. And, and it was a boot camp for entrepreneurs. And I came in, worked with Ingmar Borgers and, and Doug Sparks. And we really started, I think, together what became, I think I give those two guys the most credit. Uh, David Johnson was the, was the president at the time. And we really started what became the entrepreneur program uh, uh, in Waterloo. Um, and I, I give those guys credit for that. I came for the ride, but it was a great ride. I met exciting people with businesses. And I phoned my wife. It was our 20, May 28th, our anniversary, um, uh, I think our 20th anniversary. And I phoned her and I, I make a joke. I said, I gave her instability for for a wedding present you know, or, or an anniversary present. Yeah. Uh, and I became an entrepreneur. And uh, that I spent the next 10 years doing that. But but slowly, slowly, Fawn Annan, who's a, my partner and, and my partner in crime and, and the leader of IT World Canada, brought me in to said, well, come on, let's do this. Uh, and that's what we do. And I know you quickly mentioned that you were at uh, DMR or Fujitsu Consulting. You, I think you were the global VP of the consulting organization. And you also said that you started consulting in 2003. So what did you take from that global? And maybe it was sitting in that boardroom um, that made you change and change create your leadership style when you created your consulting firm uh, at the time. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because I was, I was in, in DMR in the, the 98, Ernst Young and, and DMR in the 80, late 80s, 90s, and, 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 and I picked the most, the worst time in the world to start a consulting business in 2003, because Y2K just happened. Everybody hated consultants. Yeah, I used to you tie a pork chop around my neck, a dog wouldn't play with me. Uh, but so I've got this, this thing, but I, the magic of it was when I, the practice that I headed at DMR was actually called, um, benefits realization, which was an awful title, except it's just taken some cachet now, but it was a whole idea of how do we get the benefits from technology? And I spent a lot of time working on that. And that's, that was, that became the focus of the management consulting practice. So that was cool. I liked that. That was, and it, it fit my natural bent of technology it by itself is meaningless. Business by itself is meaningless. Put those two together in search of a solution, in search of a, something you can do, in search of a result. That's cool. And so 2003, I started my, my own consulting company, which, and we called it at first it was called True North Consulting. Um, then I since realized that branding as a Canadian is a difficult thing. It doesn't, it, it, people aren't as proud of being Canadian as I am. And, and we shamefully, um, in Canada, uh, we don't regard our own as the best. We have an inferiority complex that I can't get past, you know, so people will, you know, even being a Canadian publisher, we discover this all the time. Well, I don't want to read Canadian stuff. Well, I can tell you why you're that. I'm sorry. I don't have time for stupid people. That's just stupid. Why? Because they're brilliant people here because you need to know your culture because there's all kinds of good reasons why even in a global world, regional and local and, and even dare I say tribalism in is is what you need to understand. And, and the brilliant people have understood that from McLuhan to Trudeau. So that, that part of it. So I'm, I'm starting this company and True North found out that didn't resonate with anybody in there. But I really wanted to do it. We, we ended up changing the, the name of the consulting company uh, uh, several times. But the whole point of the consulting company, forget the name, was, was this idea that uh, 
that I wanted to solve business problems with technology. And that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to have measurable, consistent results from, from hiring consulting. And that was the one thing. Remember the old joke about cons- what's a consultant? You know, consultant you know, borrows your watch, tells you what time it is, and, and sends you bills. As a matter of fact, a guy said that to me in a meeting one time. This is a, a, this is a telco story. This is with a, a big telco. And there's always some guy. And, and when you consult, there's always some guy who can do it better than you. And, and, or, and it's usually a guy, because women usually are pretty, are pretty logical in that this thing. So it's generally a guy, not always, but, but generally. Uh, and this guy stands up and he says, ah, oh, consultants, you know, you, uh, you borrow my watch. You tell me what time it is. You send me a bill. I looked at him and I said, listen, and I'll tell you why people shouldn't take my career stories as, as ways to do this. I said, if you have a watch and you can't tell time, pay the bill, you know. And that's uh, you know a siren for emphasis there, yeah. Exactly. That's yeah, but perfect. no, but that's it's perfect. You know, it's like a siren going off for this guy saying, you know, if you so, I'm tired of the jokes, you know. So and and we had a, a head to head. I actually pulled the guy aside and I pulled pulled him aside and said, look, here's the deal. Um, if you're going to treat me like this in there, you're going to go back and tell your boss you fired your consultant. But when you do, be prepared to go back and he's going to ask you why. And if he talks to me, I'm going to give him a good story. So I said, you need to get your life together and go back and figure out whether you want to work with me, whether you want to fire me. Either one, but come back with a good reason. I was, uh, this is early in my consulting career. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm too young to have done this. And I'm thinking, going back up, not for the first time in my life, thinking, ah, what am I going to do next now that I'm going to get fired? Um, the other people in the room came back and apologized for him. Um, and they apologized and said, the guy's a, he said a dick. I mean, but that was, but, but he was, he was just being a jerk. So the group put in there. And that gave me an, another piece to understand, which was when you are true and passionate about what you're doing, people want you to succeed. Clients want you to succeed. People want you to succeed. And that went into that, that idea of performance advantage. I wanted to have a consulting company where I wanted the customer to succeed. And the customer, these, we can't keep, putting these parentheses around my, my stuff. Here, I want the customer to succeed. It's great. Yeah. No, but seriously, the, we want the customer to succeed and, and I want to succeed. In other words, I didn't want to do that. I'm the consultant on the other side of the table giving advice. I'm your partner. I'm the person working with you. I'm as committed to your results as anything else. And that was a dynamic that I think we had at DMR. Um, and I think, you know, that, that I think the company lost it. I think that's why it lost its way. But, and I think that the results, it, you know, show that. But we, but so I wanted to be that type of consultant. And I think actually that's why Fawn and I, uh, became partners because it's hard for me to, when I'm working with a customer, I, I want them to be successful more than anything. That's what I get off on. That's what's wonderful. And we're, we're all cynical. People don't believe that. They still have the, the old consulting attitude. I don't think it's true, by the way. I think, I think many people make hire consultants and make it difficult for them to be successful. But our skill has to be getting them past that. And that's, you know, so that's, so anyway, so I start my own company. Ten years later, I'm, I'm working in, uh, in uh, well, no, ten, probably six or seven years later, because it took me a while to trend. It took me a while to actually figure out I wanted to start to be with a, a company and heading a company with Fawn um, and be in an executive role again. I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. Uh, so it took her a couple of years to convince me. 
but I was still, I was working there solving problems and, and dealing with, with issues with, with the company and doing the things that I do best. So we did some incredibly cool things that positioned the company to survive. And if we hadn't done them, we wouldn't survive the digital transformation. And that's really, you know, the next thing. And that's my next, my next interest right now is in advising people on what the coming transformation of our economy and how they're going to, to survive and thrive within that. And it's part of the learning I did from career, but also learning from being dropped into consulting in 2003, where, where the market had fallen out on consulting uh, and recovering, coming back from that and learn the lessons learned from there. I, I'm, I'm applying in this new world. So this is this is the third or fourth iteration of uh, this is Jim Love 4.0, I guess. I think you're very passionate about it. You mentioned it at the beginning, but I'm interested to know more about your gold album and your your Juno nomination. I mean, for those listening out there, a Juno Award is presented annually in Canada to musical artists and bands to acknowledge their artistic and technical achievement. So you mentioned that somewhere, I read it somewhere, that you're likely going to end your career as, as a musician, leaving this business and technology behind. Can you tell me why? Well, I, well because, I, because I think you you are, I, I, I would say, I'm fundamentally, I consider myself to be an artist, an artist about living. And artists express themselves, and whether it's in teaching or whether it's not. But music has been the place that I've been able to express myself in a way that helps us communicate. One of the there's two things in life, you know. One is we die, and that that there is a finite amount of time. And when you're younger, you don't realize that 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 there is a finite amount of time. Uh, the second thing that we have in life is that we're alone. You live and die alone. Now, before I depress anybody, I don't mean to depress people, but that's just the reality. You're born, you leave your parent, your mother's body and you stumble out into this world where you are alone and you spend a lot of time working through this understanding, how do I reach the people around me? So we go through that awful teen thing of, am I going to be accepted? We, 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 we want social relationship with people. So those two things are, are fundamental and, and maybe there's others, but those two things are archetypal fundamental things. And so as we try to reach out, to give our purpose to the time we have here, the purpose is expressed in how well we reach the other people around us. And so that, whether that's in business, I don't care whether you, whether you do that as an ice cream vendor. I don't care whether you do that as a plumber. I don't care whether you do that as a business person, whether, but if your life is not about reaching and, and, and being sharing this world with the people around you at a level that goes beyond um, the average, like I've got to make more money than you or whatever, that sort of stuff, you will die unhappy if, if, if all your life is external. And so, so that comes back to this whole thing of, and the third piece of it is you discover, you learn by teaching. So, you know, so, so in all of those things, if I want to teach people about how to live life, uh, it's not because I've got great things to say, or I'm, I'm a guru or anything like that. I want to teach people because I learn by teaching. I learned when I stand up and, and declare something to somebody, I have to have a fundamental belief in it myself. And that's where songwriting just puts together. And the, the, the latest album that I've done, uh, I mean, I, I was learning. I, I started telling people I started at the top and worked my way down. I was doing mostly children's music and mostly show music and, and plays and things like that. And, and I was writing what I called popular songs or, or blues songs, whatever. My own personal music I was writing. But I became a really good factory musician. And I wrote, we, we, we ended up having a gold album we ended up uh, getting a juno nomination which is hard in this country selling fifty thousand of anything in this country is hard selling fifty thousand albums 
is really hard. So we did four albums in a set. Then I did musicals. I wrote lyrics. I, I got some great experiences in doing things like that. But this year, um, after about eight years, I started to do my own music again. And I started to write music that was about what I wanted to write, what I wanted to communicate. And so I produced my own... Oh, I, I, sorry, I didn't produce my own album. I, I caused my own album to pre, be produced. I got a really good producer. Uh, and we, we did an album, and it's out this year. It's called uh, Highland Lullaby. And it's just, I, if I do say so myself, it's beautiful. And it reaches out on, on issues, not just issues, or issues is a bad word. It reaches out in ways, like from songs like... Uh, in the album, I've got I've got a song uh, called "Love Arrives," which is all based on that Buddhist idea that that when the student is ready, a teacher arrives, and and I turn that into when the heart is ready, love arrives, and and I you know I'm, I'm an old I grew up with John Lennon. I, I don't dismiss the idea that love in this world would be a hell of a lot better than somebody sending a missile and blowing up children or sending a boat out because it's got nuclear arms on it and stuff like that. We had a little more idea about, and I don't mean love in the, in the, the aspect of, oh, I love everybody. I mean love and compassion, the ability to see each other as humans. If we could build that between nations, we'd have a lot fewer wars. And so that, that I'm, I'm talking about things, things that are important, you know, and all the way down to um, just fun stuff. I'm talking about I've been married for 35 years to the most beautiful woman in the world and how you keep that alive, that alive. So I've got I've got cool songs about uh, about the two of us and songs from, you know, my mother. I mean, I, I grew up the parent of alcoholic children. My family fell apart. It's not they're not a boohoo for me. There's a lot of people like that out there raised by a single mother on one salary, you know, at a time when it was really tough. And just my understanding of her that I can have because I'm in my 60s now. You know, I used to be living in the 60s. Now I'm living in my 60s. Uh, but but in, in my 60s, I can actually look back on her with the compassion. And if I might be so presumptuous, maybe even a little wisdom about about understanding what it was like to be her. And that's when and that's the step that we make when I talk about what's important in life. When we actually can understand I, I don't know what it likes to, what it's like to be you. But if I open myself to the possibility of understanding what it's like to be you or to be someone else, that level of compassion is something that's worth having. Thank you so much for your time. And to close, Jim, please tell us where we could find more information about you, your company, and perhaps your your upcoming album and when, when we should be looking up for yep. it. Well, it's out, it's out music.jimlove.com, music.jimlove.com or iTunes. It's called Highland Lullaby. I think you'll understand more about me if you listen to the album than anything else. Um, follow me at itworldcanada.com um, or, you know, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm even on Facebook, although I, I tend to, I tend to keep personal friends on Facebook or LinkedIn. I'll, 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 I'll take a look at anything. I have, uh, I, th- I think like many people, thousands of LinkedIn followers, each one individually chosen. So if you send me something, tell me why you want to know me because I, I, that's, that's all I'm interested in. I'm interested in real authentic people. I'm not interested in one more follower on anything. But uh, if you if you read IT World Canada or itbusiness.ca or any of our, our our publications, I'd be I'd be grateful as well because that's the kaching. You know, the, the every every click is a is a kaching in the digital world. Again, we'll put all the links up on on our website. How to find Jim? How to get in touch with him? And again, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Wasn't that great? Jim had the ability to draw me in with the stories and learnings from his career. It was so interesting to see how he continues to grow and lead within his current role at IT World Canada. And I'm really excited to see what his future model, his 4.0, will look like. If you're interested in learning more about Jim, I have posted all the links that he mentioned on the episode page located at thebusinessleadership.com slash 011. If you have enjoyed this episode and you have not done so, please subscribe and leave me a comment on iTunes. Also, I'm looking to improve the show, it being my 11th episode. I would love to hear from you, hear your thoughts, love to know who I'm speaking with, and I will get back to you. Send it directly to me. My email address is edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. Thank you again. Until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.